Hello and welcome to the Winter Circle community. I'm your host, Dr. Sean. So, let's continue the conversation we've been having on how you can win and how we can win together. Each week we're joined by a guest who not only cares about what's going on in our society, but who also has some special expertise in an area that we'd like to win in. The area of concern today is living with a chronic condition for which there may not be a cure or treatment, and that condition may be painful and very difficult to live with. Our guest today is a critical care nurse of many years, Trish Kirk, and she feels that we could be doing more for people who live in this condition. She's very passionate about this area and helping patients like this, and she graciously accepted an opportunity to talk with us in the Winter Circle today. Trish, welcome to the Winter Circle. Thank you, good morning. Wonderful to have you here. I'm so glad you came in. We were talking about this probably a month or so ago, and it was kind of spontaneous and we were chatting. And we do have too many patients who live with conditions for which there's no cure. And sometimes we, in our interest in doing the best we can and being sort of hyper-focused, we probably miss some opportunities to provide certain therapies. And so I'm glad that you came. But before we get deep, let me understand what made you become a critical care nurse? I actually had a personal loss mm. and my husband had been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer that had already spread. At the time, I had no medical knowledge at all whatsoever. Mm. And he was hospitalized in the intensive care unit. Mm. And over the course of that 30 days that from diagnosis till the day he passed, the nurses in the hospital had just been so wonderful to us. Mm. They went out of their way not only to take care of him, but also to take care of my entire family. Mm. And I went home and said to myself, that must be so rewarding to go home at the end of the day and know that even though the patient may still be so ill and the family is in crisis mode, you made just a little bit of a difference in their day. Mm. And that rewarding feeling is something that I wanted as well. So I decided I wanted to become a nurse. And mm. my primary focus was always the intensive care unit. And that was my goal was to give back in some way, shape or form. That's remarkable because you're talking about a personal situation. It's one that doesn't have the most desirable outcome that we want. Yet there were professionals there and caring people that were able to take care of you and your family in a way that you changed your life and wanted to become. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And so what kind of care was that? If there was no particular surgery that could be done or treatment that could change the course of the condition, what uh, was that? The nursing staff, especially the doctors were wonderful, but the nursing staff actually just looked in on us as a family and made sure that if we didn't understand something, that they got the doctors in to talk to us again and to inform us when we needed help. They made sure that basic comfort needs were met, that they made sure that we felt safe in leaving the hospital on a daily basis to go home and rest and to eat and take care of ourselves. And one of the nurses actually said to me, if you get sick and run down because you're here all the time and you're not taking care of you, then you can't be here to help take care of him. Mm. So that was one of the things that really struck home to me was the caring and compassionate 
way that they not only took care of him, but our entire family mm -hmm. and made sure that we were taking care of ourselves. We felt safe in knowing it was okay to go home because he was in the hands of really great professionals. Mm. And so you felt confident about all of this and then you were able to go and kind of restore then it sounds like absolutely be able to come back and support him in another way yes excellent excellent so we usually refer to this as palliative care i believe um you know maybe i should ask you is that what you how you would approach it for for palliative care one of the things that i like to think about is that it's providing symptom and stress relief mm -hmm while the patient is still undergoing aggressive treatment. So we're not removing it from hospice in that hospice is end of life care. Mm -hmm. It's once the patient has decided that they no longer want to seek treatment, but they want to remain comfortable during the end of their life. Whereas hospice or palliative care focuses on symptom management. Mm -hmm. It includes symptoms like pain, mm -hmm nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. Uh, it focuses on depression, anxiety, and mm. management of those symptoms, which ultimately can really wear a patient down during their treatment. Mm. So while the patient is still getting aggressive treatment, in the meantime, they're still getting access to those things that improve the quality of their life. Mm. And that's where the main difference is between palliative care and hospice. Mm. Even though both forms of this medical care can come from the same team. Mm -hmm. So palliative care is definitely different than hospice in that it continues while the patient is getting treatment. Okay, I might have to follow up on that. Would you believe that even after 20 years of practice, I still <laughs> have difficulty separating those two? And it just so happened that I was talking to my wife about this excited about talking to you. And she's been practicing for that same period and we were both like sort of correcting each other and you know, filling in the gaps. So now, so palliative care, I hear you say symptom control and some of the discomforts, the anxiety, I think you said constipation. Depression. Depression. Stress. Okay. It also helps with advanced planning. Okay. And that's another big part of what palliative care can offer okay. is creating a care plan mm -hmm. that focuses on the patient and what the goals are of the patient and their family. Mm. So you come up with a plan that can include what would happen if things took a turn for the worst. Right. It opens the discussion for families to hear what the patient would want mm. and what they wouldn't want. What life-sustaining treatments are mm. they willing to have mm. and what would they really rather not have? And one of the things that I find is that people don't want to have the discussion with the palliative care team because they automatically think it is hospice. Mm. And it's not. Palliative care allows the patient to take their goals, their health care desires and what they want and put it into a plan so that it can lead to a better outcome in most cases and if, not, if nothing else, it gives them improved quality of life while they are still with us mm. and still actively seeking treatment. Sure. So advanced planning is a large part of what palliative care can offer. There's also spiritual care that can be brought in. There's also end of life planning 
so that it can help families come to grips with the illness itself and the fact that the prognosis in the end may come around to where it's a poor prognosis and decisions need to be made. And because the family has a plan in place, it can help reduce the stress and anxiety during crisis mode so that families can move forward with the plan. Sure. And they don't have to make those decisions on behalf of the patient if the patient were unable to. Mm. It reduces the anxiety that happens a lot of times and the family drama. Mm. You just unpacked a whole lot. I, I see why you're passionate about this. And because we do find ourselves in situations all too often that we really don't necessarily have to. And it's that way because we haven't had a certain discussion uh, many times, you know. And so this, uh, where you say planning, the advanced planning, is that what you call it? Yes. Yeah. And so we've avoided that discussion. And so now, just to clarify, are you saying that we avoid having that discussion because we link palliative care with hospice and we sometimes are uncomfortable with talking about hospice, so we avoid palliative care and then we avoid the care? I believe that in this country, we, we focus on so much mm. on more is better mm. and quantity versus quality mm. and the quantity of life versus the quality of life really is a discussion that needs mm. to be had. Mm. We don't do it often enough. And especially in the ICU, one of the things that I encourage people to do is have that conversation with the palliative care team. Mm. I'm one of the first nurses that will jump on board with recommending a palliative care mm. consult when there is a diagnosis of chronic illness. Mm. It doesn't have to be a life-ending illness. Mm. It can be COPD. It can be an early stage cancer diagnosis. There's no point at which palliative care is getting involved too early. It can be brought in at any stage of illness. Mm. It doesn't have to be end of life discussion. Okay. So I think that in our country, we are so afraid of loss mm. and we're so afraid of letting go that we don't have the discussions that we need to. And Perfect opportunities are times when you see something on a show and there may be a discussion about the person being on life support. That's another disservice that we do as medical professionals because mm. often when we're talking to families, we talk to them in medical terminology. Mm. We speak to them about intubation and sedation. Mm -hmm. We speak to them and tell them that their family member is on pressors. Right. But we fail to explain in very easy to understand terms that this is life support. Right. And while we have dialysis, which is intermittent life support, mm -hmm. it's still a form of life support mm -hmm. because without it, that patient would die. Mm -hmm. So I think that we don't, as medical professionals, talk to our family members mm -hmm. and say to them, this is life support, Right. what we're doing. And if we were to take it away, mm -hmm. the patient would no longer live. We don't have those very frank discussions and we sometimes gloss over it. So mm -hmm. I would really like to see us as medical professionals, especially in the intensive care unit and especially in COVID, talk to families much more frank about this is the situation. This is where your family member is at. And we would like to bring in the palliative care team because it helps in all aspects. There's never a time that's too early once a patient's been diagnosed with 
a serious illness. Wow. Wow, that was a lot there. We get so wrapped up in the moment-to-moment, issue-to-issue, fixing, mm-hmm. you know, mindset, uh, restore, uh, replace, resuscitate, you know, this idea of addressing some aspect, you know, let's say an aspect of a person's medical care that sometimes we cannot look at the whole person is what I think you're saying, you know, the whole person and the whole personality and, you know, maybe even we haven't even talked about what that person would want. Absolutely. And that's why I do believe that once there is a diagnosis of serious illness, it's Mm -hmm. so important to involve palliative care Mm -hmm. because they help with developing that care plan, Mm. developing the goals Mm. and getting to ultimately what is the actual desire of what the patient would want. All too often we have patients that come into the ICU that have never even thought about an advanced directive Mm. and they don't want to think about it Mm. because their goal when they walk in the ICU is Mm. just to get better and get get home. Likely. I mean, I mean, that's what I would want. Absolutely. Trish, I wanted to follow up on some of what you said earlier. You mentioned that we could be using palliative care for chronic conditions that may be severe, that may not be necessarily life-threatening, but they help us to have those discussions that are important. I wonder if, now we've had a difficult year with COVID pneumonia, and sometimes people really haven't done wonderfully. Can you unpack a little bit of how palliative care would come into play with, say, COVID pneumonia or even other chronic lung diseases? Absolutely. One of the things that was so challenging this year in the ICU was handling COVID Mm -hmm. and the seriousness of the people that were in the ICU and being in a position of they were so ill. And at the same time, we didn't really have any knowledge of what we were facing. Mm -hmm. And we were constantly every day learning more and more, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough and it wasn't, people were taking a turn for the worst so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we found was that the patients, once they started to require more and more oxygenation Mm -hmm. at higher delivery sets, it often took a turn for the worst. Mm. And that patient would end up intubated and sedated and on life support. Mm. At that point, we were dealing with patients of all races, all ages, Mm -hmm. all medical backgrounds, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with some, most with extensive histories Mm. and chronic underlying disease, Mm -hmm. uh, and others that maybe had no past medical history. Mm. Everybody was affected differently Mm -hmm. by COVID. Mm -hmm. And the difficult part was that so many patients that were coming to us Mm -hmm. had not had palliative care Mm -hmm. on board, even though they had underlying chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So given that they were coming in, Mm -hmm. we had very little planning. Right. And that's where palliative care could have Mm. been an actually invaluable resource to us because Although when they come in, you don't want to talk about the negative because we are a society of healing. We want to heal everybody Mm -hmm. and we want everybody to get better. Right. We had to face the sad reality with COVID that Mm -hmm. not everybody was going to get better. Right. And by bringing in palliative care Mm -hmm. early on with a COVID diagnosis, Mm -hmm. it allowed that patient 
to express what they would want to happen mm. if they needed to be intubated. Mm. And if it got to the point where we couldn't get them off intubation, would they want a tracheostomy? Mm. Would they want a feeding tube placed? Had we had that information, it would have helped to ease a lot of the suffering that the patients that we did see went through. You're right. As you're talking through this, I'm remembering several scenarios and the way you've laid it out. You're right. We were caught off guard, but not only were we caught off guard, but society and patients were caught off guard Absolutely. because even though a person, let's say they may or may not have a chronic condition that placed them at risk because they're not at risk. They're not thinking about what could happen and what they would want if that happened, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So now you mentioned before the break this issue of advanced directive. Yes. What, what is that? The advanced directive is a legal document that you can actually create through, there's copies of PDF downloads mm. on the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization mm. website. Mm. It's nhpco.org mm. and you can click on there to learn more about advanced directives. Mm -hmm but it's a document that outlines what your wishes would be mm -hmm. if you needed life-sustaining and ultimately possibly comfort care, mm -hmm. what you want done in the event that you are unable to make medical decisions. It also allows you to name a healthcare proxy, mm -hmm. a person that you trust, mm -hmm. who you've sat and had in-depth conversation with about what your wishes are mm -hmm. and who you're entrusting in, in to make medical decisions on your behalf should you get to the point where you can't make your own. Mm -hmm. So the nhpco.org website has a list of the states because each state has its own acceptable format of mm. advanced directive. You simply click on the state that you spend the most time in. If you split your time between two states, it's mm. often good to download both states' mm. advanced directive copies, and you can fill it out, have it notarized, witnessed by two people and notarized, and then you have your advanced directive in place, which allows the hospital to be guided mm -hmm in helping you and your family make those medical decisions. Mm, excellent, excellent. And why, let's say we have a driver's license that works in all of these states. Why would we need a different advanced directive for different states? Is that just the way it's set up? It's uh, just the way it's set up. Yeah. Different states have different guidelines uh -huh. and rules and regulations oh, that right. they're governed by. Mm -hmm. So while some states will allow one version. Mm -hmm. Other states won't. Mm -hmm. Some states will allow medical professionals to be witnesses to the advanced directive. Mm -hmm. Other states won't. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's always best to have it witnessed by mm -hmm. someone who's not one of the attendings at your bedside. Mm -hmm. You know, an advanced directive, uh, you're reminding, is extremely important because if we're not speaking for ourselves, if we haven't made that statement for ourselves and put it on paper so that other people will know, then it becomes Many times our loved ones, if there are loved ones present, and sometimes our loved ones, not sometimes, but all the times, our loved ones will have different perspectives on what they feel that should be happening to us. Absolutely. And so it leaves all of these varying perspectives to argue amongst each other and debate amongst each other, and that can go on to no end, right? Absolutely. We see it yeah. frequently in the mm. ICU where families just can't make decisions 
because everybody has a different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I will tell my family members Mm -hmm. is think about the person that is the patient Mm -hmm. and what they would want. Mm -hmm. Think about their life before their chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Think about their life before their hospitalization. Mm Is it expected that they will return to that level of functioning that made them happy, that made their life fulfilling for them? If not, then you seriously need to ask yourself, what's in the best interest of my loved one? Mm -hmm. And what would they want? Mm -hmm. And take the selfishness Mm -hmm. and the fear of loss Mm -hmm. out of the equation. And once you do that, no matter what the decision, then it's the right decision, Mm -hmm. provided you took out any selfishness and desire to hang on Mm -hmm. just for the sake of hanging on. Mm -hmm. Think quality Mm -hmm. of life, Mm -hmm. not quantity. Sure, sure. Yes, that's very important. And this issue of being able to say, what would my loved one want, actually? That's very, I mean, it's necessary because what we're really talking about is how do we respect our loved one's wishes and ultimately how do we respect our loved one absolutely yeah i wanted to ask you more about hospice then we've talked about palliative care Um, i understand more about that now because of your descriptions i appreciate that thank you now hospice itself what what does that mean i mean i I have an idea that it's end of life uh, but what's the definition kind of thing end of life care Mm -hmm. it's once the patient has received the terminal diagnosis Mm -hmm. and the life expectancy is not expected to exceed approximately six months Mm -hmm. and the patient has decided at that time to forego the aggressive treatments And along with the healthcare team, Mm -hmm. they've decided that the actual side effects and what they're facing is no longer outweighing the benefit of the treatment. Mm -hmm. That is when a patient can choose to transition to hospice. Mm -hmm. And hospice can be done anywhere. Mm -hmm. Hospice can be done in the home. Hospice can be done in the hospital, Mm -hmm. in an inpatient setting, at a nursing home. Hospice can ease the pain and the suffering that Mm -hmm. the patient feels while they're going through end of life. Mm -hmm. And it's aimed at comfort. Okay, okay. And so there were a couple of questions that came to mind. Number one is that I like that it's um, hospice care. I think that sometimes people interpret hospice as we're going to stop providing care but it's hospice care, um, if I understand you correctly. Absolutely. I mean, it's still a, a different approach to caring. For Absolutely. Somebody. It's a transition where you go from treatment and looking to cure the patient mm-hmm. to looking to help ease them into passing mm-hmm. and passing comfortably without mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's not an ugly thing and i think that that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that we as a society look at hospice as Mm -hmm. if it's an ugly thing but it's actually quite beautiful Mm -hmm. in that it helps the patient to pass comfortably with loved ones at their bedside Mm -hmm. whereas often in the icu when Mm -hmm. we have a patient that codes Mm -hmm or uh, requires resuscitation, Mm -hmm. we are the ones at the bedside. Mm -hmm. We are the ones that are there when the patient passes, Mm -hmm. not the family, not the loved ones. Mm -hmm. And to die and pass while you are on 
Hospice is a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. You are surrounded by your family. You can mm -hmm. be surrounded by your friends. Mm -hmm. And you go comfortably and peacefully mm -hmm. as opposed to a traumatic ending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm imagining that some of us that are providing care, practitioners, we are also suffering this loss, mm -hmm. right? And I don't think that patients and families probably think that, but many times we're having difficulty approaching these discussions because we are also having difficulty dealing with these issues, you know, yes. of this uh, transition. But the, the suffering component, you know, and to minimize suffering and to do it in a way that maintains dignity uh, for the individual. I mean, enough can be, you know, we can't say enough about that. No, it's know. so important. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's one of the conversations that no one likes to have. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have these discussions with your loved ones about what would you want. And, and it, it is a very hard discussion to mm -hmm. have, but it's mm -hmm. one that if you sit down and you approach it as, I want to respect and honor you. Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to know what you want mm -hmm. and ultimately put it in the hands of the patient mm -hmm. and allow them to decide. Mm -hmm. It's one of those conversations that if you have it with the best of intentions and with love in your heart, that it can make such a difference for someone at the end of their life. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I so appreciate that. and. It's hard to put an ending, uh, another ending on that when you end it with uh, love and the best of intentions. So I really appreciate your coming on thank and you. having thank this discussion. Having yeah, yeah, thank you for coming. Very informative and very respectful uh, type of discussion to have for how do we continue to care for each other and for our patients, for our people in our community, our neighbors during their times of transition. We should have these discussions. We need to have them sooner and earlier about what a person would want during their life and what they would want when they're transitioning from this life to another. So I'm hoping and I'm sure that you've appreciated this conversation today. We'll have more conversations as times go. You can find this one Monday at 2 o'clock p.m. and Tuesday at 6 o'clock p.m. right here on RVN TV. You can find this conversation and many others on drshawnhubbard.com or wherever you found this message. We'll meet again. See you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Until we do, keep winning, guys. Take care.